welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Today's episode was an incredible catch-up with Larissa Reinhardt and Tracy Dawson. We check in with Larissa on how she's been going with her promo tour for First to the Front, as well as the research she's been doing on her next manuscript. And we check in with Tracy, who's got some incredible wins, obviously, the Writers Guild in the US, as well as getting back out there and trying to get that deal for book number two. We talk about AI and its impacts both on writing long form, as well as in screenwriting, and so much more. Enjoy today's episode. Cultural critic and historian Larissa Reinhardt writes about art, war, politics, and the places where these discourses intersect. Her writing has recently appeared in Hyperallergic, Perfect Strangers, and Narratively, among other publications. She holds an MA from NYU in Experimental Humanities and a BA in Literature from UC Santa Cruz. When not writing, she can be found photographing the natural world, impinging upon the urban landscape, or digging in the dirt with her husband and two sons in Santa Barbara, California. Tracy Dawson is the author of Let Me Be Frank, a book about women who dress like men to do shit they weren't supposed to do, out with HarperCollins in 2022. Tracy is an award-winning actress and a TV writer who began her career at The Second City in Toronto. She was a writer and lead actor on the Canadian sitcom Call Me Fitz, and went on to win the Gemini Award and the Canadian Screen Award for Best Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for her work opposite Jason Priestley on that show. Those are like Canadian versions of the Emmy and Golden Globes, so yeah, not too shabby. Tracy was born in Ottawa, Canada, and currently lives in Los Angeles with her life partner Isaac, who is a dog. Find her on Instagram and Twitter, both at Dawson Tracy. This segues really nicely into an update with our beautiful guests, Larissa and Tracy, who we don't get to chat as much. And I have the most fantastic conversations with the pair of you. So I want to hear what's been up with each of you. You're definitely in different places, right? Larissa is both writing or still in research for your latest book and also on the promotion trail and busy, busy. And Tracy, you're going to update us both on selling the new manuscript as well as some stuff that's really important for writers. So some celebrations, hopefully, especially for writers in the U.S. So who wants yeah. to go first? Who has to chat first? I have well, no, I'm going to go mean, first I'll, because Tracy's is so much more important than mine. So <laughs> no, are you joking? Me? Wait, no, I'm not joking God. because Tracy, you have been on the front lines, not just for screenwriters, but for all writers and all creators and frankly, all workers. Like this was the first battle in fighting AI and you won. And Mm. there is, I mean, that is incredibly important. And that sets the tone 
for how we move forward. So I'm going to go first because no <laughs> one's going to listen to what anything anyone says after you talk. That up. Don't see <laughs> me up so terribly. I oh, just sorry. <laughs> I want your, you to inspire me with your updates. So go. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So I am on the camp on the promotion trail for first the front, and I'm in DC next week at the National Press Club and the American Newswoman's Club, which is super exciting because, of course, Dickie Chappelle was a trailblazing female war correspondent, and I'm really looking forward to talking to those folks about her and the contributions that she made to the Fourth Estate that I feel like aren't recognized even by them. And so I'm really excited to sort of get that in the in the discourse there. And then even though I got the deal back in July, I just signed my contract for my next book, which is on Jeanette Rankin, who again, is just a woman that I didn't know about. And I'm shocked that most people don't know about. She was the first woman elected to parliamentary office. She was a congresswoman from Montana in 1916. She was a prominent suffragist. She got almost single-handedly suffrage through the Montana state legislature. She was instrumental in getting the federal amendment. And she was a lifelong peace activist, but also a strong advocate for direct democracy. You know, in 1916, she was advocating for the abolition of the Electoral College for open congressional districts, for ranked choice voting, all of which lead to a more democratic society in which minority points of view are better represented than they are now with the current American gerrymandered system that just leads to what we have now, which is terrifying. So I'm really excited to be writing this book and her story at this particular juncture in our own Mm -hmm. historical moment. So that's what I'm doing. So So let me ask you. Nothing big. (laughs) Yeah, no big whoop. So let me ask you this, just a dollars and cents, uh, nuts and bolts Mm -hmm. question, which is Mm -hmm. you sold the book in July. You just sold the contract now. It's October 2nd. Yep. I had to check you guys. I had to check. (laughs) And so in between July and October 2nd, like you've obviously been working. And so yeah. is it because it's like, I'm trying to think, I, I I don't remember how long it took for me to sign my contract. I thought that that happened fairly quick, but I remember it taking a really long time before they mm. wanted to announce it. And I was mm. just chomping at the bit because I wanted that screenshot. I wanted to show people publishers marketplace. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And I wanted, yeah. and, it, and yeah. it was so long before they said, okay, we're going to, I don't, I think that there was some fear about, about my book. My editor, I think was a little nervous about this very thing that we're talking about, which is things getting out into the ether, but not just because it was in the ether, but because of literally stealing ideas that she Mm -hmm. said that she's seen people steal ideas. She says she's seen things go really, really fast because they don't want to, you know what I mean? Like take the idea and then run with it and get it out earlier. And I was just like, what? Like, I couldn't believe that this was a thing that I guess has happened. I don't know how prevalent it is, but I really just wanted to announce the the book sale and uh, they (laughs) wanted to hold (laughs) off. Why are you waiting? Yeah. 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 Well, look, and Larissa, I do want to hear that too, because I've had just similar to you, Tracy, there are times where it goes quickly. I know the experience for an author is always frustrating. And look, I'll raise my hand. I don't have much patience, but it is inbuilt, especially for an agent. You want to get the best deal. So you are going to go back and forth and things don't move quickly in publishing until or unless they do. Well, you're expected you to move a couple of things. The Go writers on. are expected to move quickly. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, the, the, my contract is dated to July when they told me I would have a contract. 
and I have 12 months to write the book. Right. I mean, yeah. So you were like, that's why I'm getting on it. But was it just a matter of back and forth? Normal? No, it's just then. No, no, no. All the no, all the details were ironed out two weeks later. It's just how long it takes to get through the legal department. Oh, wow. Goodness. Yeah. Okay. That feels like a long time. And again, I've only sold one book and my memory is <laughs> also foggy. So, well, and I didn't remember it taking this long either with my first one, but right. my agent said that it did take this long. So I imagine it's also a publisher to publisher. Like, you right. know what I mean? But, um, I wonder if also with our first books, Larissa, if we were just like so filled with adrenaline and so high that I was like, I sold the book. And then you like, you start working <laughs> the next day and it's just like, whatever, whenever the contract's ready, I don't whatever, care. Whatever like, comes in, no problem. I don't care. But I need my advance. I mean, hello. That's what it (laughs) what it comes down to is like, okay, contract smart smart track. Do it. I feel that. Yeah. But it's like, but it's money. It comes down to I want that commencement money. And gosh, well, is there anything I I don't want to like jump in if you're still sharing about what's been happening since July to to, like since the to now with signing the contract. Like, no, I mean, I've just been working on the book. I've been researching. I've been, you know, one thing that I have been really thinking about in researching this book and uh, and in women's history in general is so I really believe that we are living in this golden era of women's history history because um, historians of all genders are getting to write about women's history. And we finally have this platform, right, to talk about it. But in addition, there are so many archivists and librarians working on these archives, these collections that in a way that they never have before. And I've just been so grateful to go into the Schlesinger Library, the library in Athens, Georgia, UGA, and be able to find what I'm looking for in a way that historians haven't been able to do in the past, right? Like I can keyword search any suffrage or Jeanette Rankin or any number of other terms and they'll just like come up and I can identify the document that I'm looking for immediately. And that has been instrumental in my research of, you know, in this book. And I wouldn't be able to do it without that incredible work of archivists. Wow. So I, I just think that's been so great because her, Jeanette's archives are dispersed, right? They're in Georgia, they're in Montana, they're in um, New York, and they are in Philadelphia and Boston. And I've been wow. able to access almost all of them virtually. Wow. Yeah. That's really, that's really amazing. Also, when I hear you talk about writing about one person, because I'm so, I, I'm, you know, my next book is similar to Frank and that it's about multiple women. I'm just like, I get overwhelmed just listening to you because I think, I just think I would be so upset. I, I, I love research so much mm-hmm. and I would, and I, when I'm doing smaller more digestible pieces. And they're not small, by the way, like my chapters, I think my chapters are getting bigger, this this book, (laughs) because I just love it. And I want to share and I want to talk and I want to roll, you know, Mm. but if I had to write a whole book, like a whole entire book on one subject. Oh my goodness. Like I'm, I'm, I, I I would, I start to sweat thinking that you have 12 months from July. Do you know what I mean? Like I, because it's a lot to, it's a lot to research. It's a lot to absorb. It's a lot to digest. And like, it's incredible. Like, I think Mm. what I did was, was pretty fun and great. And, and, but, uh, but it's like, but it seems like (laughs) I'm just like, the, uh, yeah, it just seems like a, a, a mountain to climb what you're doing. And so kudos. It and is also, like, it's, it's good that we enjoy it. Like we, yes. you enjoy research, right? Oh, I love it. I love I it. Love it I love it to the point of like, it's my Achilles heel, right? Like I have to stop <laughs> doing research. At some I know. Point. Like yeah. I don't need to read an entire 
entire book about the mining company that was Jeanette's, you know, <laughs> enemy it. during her 1916 campaign for suffrage. Like, I don't have to go so far down that rabbit hole. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think I've like reached the mountaintop right now where mm. I can sort of see beyond like, what is the shape of the book. I'm finally oh, wow. being able to understand. And one of the things that I love about your writing, Tracy, and that I also try to do is placing women's history within the larger historical context. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I said this last time, but I so often feel that women's history is sort of corded off, right? It's just about their individual lives and maybe their friends and their family, but it's Mm -hmm. not placed within this larger historical arc and how that affected them and how they affected history in a lot of ways, right? Or Or it's just put in within women's history. And it's like, no, this is part of all of our histories. And so that's really what I am loving about writing Jeanette's book is that her career as a peace activist and as an advocate for direct democracy went from 1910 to 1973. Like she saw World War I, World War II, and the Vietnam War. She saw suffrage. She saw civil rights. Like, wow, what a life. And to sort of be able to trace those historical moments and events and evolutions within the life of this one woman has just been really incredible. You know what I love is that between the two of us, we've got like a a girl gang that's like yes. so dope. Like in terms of like, because I think we talked about it last last uh, time we recorded was about feeling like they were with, I mean, I felt like they were with me. You know what I mean? They were part mm-hmm. of the process and I felt uh, bolstered by them and I felt encouraged and I felt moved and I I felt like they were my sisters, you know, my mom, my aunt. Like I totally felt this this strong uh, connection. And I we must have talked about that last time to, if you felt that way with Dickie or if you feel that way with Jeanette now, but I'm sure you do. Like, feel an, like an intimacy with oh um, absolutely absolutely I felt an immediate intimacy with Dickie Chappelle because I had known about her for so long and she really lived with me like as a young woman I had known about her and she was my hero but with Jeanette I you know for the first couple of months I was looking for her I was looking mm. for her voice. I was trying to find what made her tick and understand her. And, yeah. you know, for a long time, I was calling her Rankin, right? Like, that's her last name. That's the formal sort of... And in my head, I would have referred to her as Rankin. Now I've been with her, studying her, listening to her, reading her writing and, and speeches. And I do feel like she has now become part of my own DNA. You know, I I, I hope I understand how she thinks and how she was making her decisions and 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 to a certain degree why. So yeah, there is an incredible intimacy, I think, with with the people that you're that you're writing about. I just was thinking as you were saying that too, it's I think that especially when you're doing that sort of research and because it's based on this person and and you want to do right by them there might be that pressure of like, am I representing her the way that I would? But if you're going into it with your heart Mm. and with that sort of love and appreciation, you're going to write about her in the way that a loving friend would, which sometimes is just straight talking, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I love them to the point of not seeing their you know, faults. Should they have any? Yes, they should because they were human (laughs) and they did. (laughs) But just being able to show, but in fact, it's that love 
admiration. And maybe because of that vulnerability of seeing someone else's faults, you're bringing that to the page. Mm-hmm. And Tracy, I think girl gang is a, is a beautiful way to say it because by the way, we need depth mm-hmm. and we also need books out there that are going to give us an insight because what that to me is, is an invitation for somebody to dive deeper with one particular story that they most resonate. And you're giving the permission to the reader rather than saying, dive in. On the other hand, those of us know straight away, this is someone we want to know all about, right? And so we need that depth. So there's not really, for me, anyway, from my point of view, a ranking system. In fact, (laughs) the more we can hear about women who've really shaped where we've gotten to today, Mm -hmm. and we say unsung, but I hate that. So bringing her story to as many people as possible is really important right now more than ever. One other thing, when you were talking about the archivists and I thought, oh my God, I mean, I see this every day with say my kids in school and especially my daughter, there are challenges with technology and we'll get into that more with you, Tracy, with what you've just gone through. But I love the way that it actually can all, there are ways that it is good. We just have to keep them very centered in where they are uh, assisting us and not having to go through microfilm and microfiche. I mean, there might be people, I assume everyone listening to this is over a certain age, so they might know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But if they didn't like way back when libraries only had the Dewey Decimal System and you would have to do hard research. And if it wasn't on site, you Mm -hmm. couldn't do it. So having the capability to dive in deep and get all of this stuff that's like you were saying throughout the country, maybe in one place and using keywords, Mm -hmm. like our brain was the only way to get keywords before. And there was no way to search it. You just had to read through all the minutiae that had nothing to do with anything. And it's also, you know, one of the things that I'm excited about is not only that it enables more research about women, but it also enables more people to do research, right? Because it's very economically limiting if you have to have the money to travel to all these different states to do this research. If they're online, anyone can do that. And, you know, regardless of your economic status, you can do that research. And so I'm really excited about the possibilities of having more historical points of view come into the conversation because of this economic democratizing of research through digitizing these materials. Yeah. Yeah. Access. That's, that's what it is. Equalizing the access. Yeah. So you don't have to have a a buy-in. So Tracy, update us. What's going on? (laughs) Well, I know that the listeners cannot see that I'm wearing my Writers Guild of America t-shirt, but I am because I joined in solidarity. I earlier today, I was on on the SAG picket line. Uh, today, they went back to the uh, negotiations table and the Writers Guild sent out an email to all of us saying, hey, they're going back to the table. Let's hit the picket lines in solidarity. And it was so wonderful to be out at Paramount Studios this morning and seeing so many people in their blue WGA shirts. And it was great. And there was a taco truck and I had tacos and that was amazing. <laughs> so that is that is super current as in today. But, but really, the biggest thing, of course, is that after uh, almost 150 days on strike, the Writers Guild of America prevailed and we got a great deal. And it was when we, last week, we had our big membership meeting at the Hollywood Palladium on Sunset Boulevard 
that was for multiple reasons. One, to congregate, to be together, to to celebrate, to hoot and holler, and also to have uh, the negotiating team and the board of directors walk us through the deal points. And I have to say that that night, just thinking about it makes me feel emotional because it was one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced in my entire life. I actually, yeah, it makes me choke up because it was, it was so powerful and beautiful. And we just, we, we cried, we cheered, we screamed, we yelled and, and they, they are, those people are heroes. They we're heroes. We, we all did that. We stood together. The reason that we prevailed is because they tried to break us. They tried to, they tried to, they could have made this deal Let's be honest. They could have made that deal weeks or months ago. They could have. They gave us a good deal. We compromised on very little. We compromised. We definitely had to compromise on a couple of things. You always do. But they could have come to the table with this deal earlier and they thought they could break us. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And they couldn't. In fact, as one of our leaders said, it's very rare to have a five-month strike where the first week of picketing is as strong as the last week or vice versa. Mm. The last week is strong. We were out in force. We were out like there was no there was no doubt in my mind that we were going to win this. There was just like zero doubt because I saw I was on those picket lines. I saw the energy and I thought, man, the AMPTQ would have done really well to send some moles <laughs> to the picket line. And maybe they did, but I don't know what they were reporting back because we were not going anywhere. We were so united. And of course, when SAG joined us, when yeah. they joined us, that was really the one-two punch because it was two unions standing together on strike together for the first time in 60 years. And it was just like you said, Larissa, this is this was not about only Hollywood. This was not only about screenwriters. This was about labor. This is about workers. Mm -hmm. And this is about finally, I don't know why it, I don't know why this is the moment in history that this is happening. I couldn't possibly tell you why, why are we finally waking up to what has happened to CEO pay in comparison to what has happened to worker pay. But Mm -hmm. we are also living in a moment where things can be shared instantaneously on the internet. We're back to the technology and the benefits and the gifts that it gives us. And everything that happened in the 2007-2008 strike, it's very different now. Lies can be debunked instantly. Tweets and information. And also, by the way, who are who are writing these threads? Who, who are debunking these things? Writers. And we're really yeah. good at it. We're really good at sending, you know, compiling information and sending it out in engaging and entertaining ways. And we had, we had this from, I think from the word go, like we had, we had, the press was on our side. Like there, there was, there was very little, you know, 2007, 2008 was different. It just was a different ball game. And we knew that and they didn't seem to know that and they Mm. needed to catch up. And when I say they, I mean the studios and the producers or whatever. So it was it's unbelievable. So I will well, say in terms of, a, oh, you want to say something, Larissa? Yeah, oh, go ahead. Just in terms of like, let's talk about the exact point of your strike, right? Who creates the content? You do. Mm-hmm. So what happened? You created the content that got the message of the strike out there. Yeah. And what did the producers yeah. have? Nothing. Because they were not able to get the content of their withholding your demands because they didn't have any writers. So who won <laughs> right. the strike? I mean, you did. You did yeah. because you are the reason that they exist. And you made, you were able to make that case immediately, not yeah. only to the people in Los Angeles, but to workers and everyone all around the world. Like, I don't want to be hyperbolic. Yeah, the message, the message was, the message was so clear that it was about workers standing up to corporate greed and mm-hmm. the fact that we 
as the WGA, as a membership, united, like 100% united, says right here, united we stand, right on my shirt. Mm -hmm. And the ANPTP is a gathering of studios. And you know what they are? They're competitors. So they're, they, we have worked out this system where the people that we're negotiating with are actually not united. I mean, they have one thing that unites them, which is try to give them as little as possible, try to keep as much money as possible. That's their Mm -hmm. one uniting thing. But the fact is, is that we came in so solid and so united as a guild and they didn't, if if I'm honest, they didn't have their shit together, right? Mm-hmm, so yeah. what held us up? They had their own little, I don't want to say infighting because I wasn't in the room, but they have different interests, right? And they and they just thought, well, let's we'll starve them out. We'll starve them out. That was their fucking goal. That was their that was their strategy. And we said <laughs> we laughed in their faces because because a lot of us will sell a script and then we won't get through business affairs for six, nine months. You think that we don't know how to make a paycheck? glass? You don't think we know how to make a grocery bill lean when we have to? Are you joking? Like there's a very small percentage of the Writers Guild of America membership that are rich. Of course, there's very rich showrunners and people who've created hit shows and Shonda Rhimes and Mike Schur. Yeah. But the majority of us, I mean, I've had a lot of success, but I have, I mean, I've, I've had a lean year and Mm. I know how to have a lean year. I have experience with that. And you're not going to break me because what we were standing on was not about getting a pay raise. It was about the existence of our industry. It was about, we were fighting for things that were about the very existence of screenwriting as a viable job and yeah. also about what was right. Like you're going to pay your CEOs 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year and say that they earned that, but you're saying that you can't afford 0.02% of your profits to towards the th- the asks that the WGAs like we could just see like we're just like are we dumb no we're not we're very smart people like so it was very clear that what we were fighting for was like was existential yeah. uh, but also like bigger than us and it's mm-hmm. been absolutely mind-bogglingly incredible to see the labor actions that have been happening uh, around the US but particularly in California and Los Angeles with the hotel workers and mm-hmm. the auto workers and let me tell you this is a this is a moment and I I'm here for it. I am like, I love labor, you know, and 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 we're the ones that put the stuff on the table. <laughs> we put the shows on the screens. We got you through the pandemic. You know, same with the actors. God love them. I really hope that they have a fast, productive, res- filled with respect and the yeah. dignity that they deserve because they were not treated well the first time around. And that's why they walked away. And I love them for it. I love mm-hmm. not only because they joined us, but because they stood up for themselves and said, F you, you can't treat us like this. Mm-hmm. Well, some of it, and I, you know, it's only a like a very surface level understanding of of what you're in. But some of it is about this being replaceable, and uh, like when we talk about technology as well, there is a balance of pride which writers should have and fear. And when we talk about the assistance, for example, just as part of the negotiations and the same with the, the actors being replaceable, oh, we can just use AI and we don't have to pay people. There are, it's not just certain things on a small level. It's lots of things that cannot be replaced where the consumer can tell the difference. So even on Amazon, as an example, because of AI have a limit. And I just saw a writer post about this the other day. And it was like, wow, I better hurry up. You're limited to only being able to upload three books a day. Sorry, no one's writing three books a day. And so we know they are not people 
writing those books. You're not writing a thousand books a year. The truth is that you can put stuff out there, but they're not going to sell really well because we can tell. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the tests, especially with writing, where you stick something there. Again, it's a jumping off point to something else. It's They can give you the freedom from a blank page, but nothing's going to replace Tracy Dawson's humor. Mm-hmm. You cannot actually replicate it. And there are lots of things going on for writers of books now, and you would have seen this too. There's another case, right? A class action in the US, just with maybe six really, really famous writers at the the forefront. Like Um, Jody Pico. I don't don't know the others, but again, really successful. And an author that I know personally, I think she says she's got over 20 books. And I think at least seven were found and writers don't get paid a ton just when you have a good contract, I will Mm -hmm. say, until you hit those upper echelons. And then you're getting the advance and then the advance is big enough that you don't really worry about, did I earn out that advance or not? That's not a concern. You just go, you go back to the writing, which is very freeing, right? Rather than saying, let me schedule out my year based on I've now got this contract signed. So imagine you put your work out and not only are you getting paid a very low double digit royalty per copy, but then AI has taken it and they're trying to train a computer on your writing. Mm-hmm. I like without paying you without paying you at all because now and it's without not your permission you. yeah right yeah and without even buying so this was the other part so for those that were writing there was that website and I can't remember what it's called and this was made by someone writing and this isn't my personal approach to writing ever but They were like for research, taking all of these books and saying, oh, we can show you the percentage of active voice versus passive voice and dialogue versus exposition and blah, blah, blah throughout. The problem was they mined the data using AI. So they didn't go to the writer and say, hey, I would love to be able to use one of your books. I'll pay for a book. And then can I share with people how you did it? What the construction of it is like? That's not what they did. They Mm -hmm. took pirated data and used that as scraping the internet from pirated sites who have already taken these books and then used that data to help other writers. So it wasn't what they were doing, helping Mm -hmm. other writers understand it, it, it broken down. And I just don't get, that's a very numbers thing. And I don't get it. That's not how I interact with writing, but it was to be helpful, but you were doing it in a bass backwards way. You don't mm-hmm. say, I'm disrespecting you, writer. I'm just going to take this stuff because it was easy and free for me. Mm-hmm. Respect them and at least buy the goddamn book. One, one book, because they're maybe getting, if they're lucky, 10 to 15% of that. After you sell out your advance. <laughs> After you sell yeah. out your advance. That's, yeah. that's if you sell out your advance. If, and if it's not discounted and if it didn't yeah, go yeah. to a book club and if, you know, all of these things, it's, it's, if you are a human 
even if you are a human who wants to make money, I get it. Studio heads, you're a human and you want to make, but be human first. Well, yeah, and I respect think humans really like, first. Yeah, I think that's the heart of the matter. Like, be humans first. And, you know, Tracy, you mentioned we're in this moment of so much change, right? Like, there's this explosion of labor activity, there's this explosion of climate change activity, and there's this like huge movement towards, right, defending our democracy. And I think to use your word, Tracy, there's this e- moment of existential crisis, right? Where we are faced with being erased entirely as humans. And what do we want to preserve as humans, right? Like we want to preserve our capacity to make art. And not only, right, if we allow AI to just be the generator of content from now on, will we as writers not be able to make a living, but future generations won't know how to make human art because all the art is made by a robot. And that more than anything is worth preserving, right? Because if we're not making art, if we're not creating, then we're not the species that we used to be. And what does that future look like? That's pretty bleak, you know? So to me, it's like, I don't want to consume AI art. I don't want AI to consume my art because I don't want to live in a world in which there is no art. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my feeling is, and I don't know, I'm not like an expert. I was approached by some journalist to to be interviewed during the strike about AI. And I said, you know what? I can't. You have to talk to someone who can speak more eloquently about it, who knows it inside out. And I don't want to embarrass myself or my guild. But <laughs> but here's my take. Here's my here's my non-expert take, which is it's the Wild West, right? So we're in the Wild West and this is going, this is not going anywhere but it needs to be regulated. That's it. And so we're trying to Mm -hmm. build into this new deal and SAG is going to be doing that this week. And I hope they don't budge an inch because it's Mm. very important. It's very important for writers, of course, but it's really important to the idea of stealing someone's image. Are you Mm, like, what the hell? What the hell? So it needs to be regulated because it's the Wild West and we just don't know. And so, of course, these companies are doing this because they can. They're doing anything they can get away with right now. It's not, Mm. in my opinion, this is a non-expert opinion. You know, it's things are, the shit is going to hit the fan. There's going to have to be regulations because it's not going to, it's not going to be allowed to run rampant and run wild without because there's going to be people standing up and people who have muscle and people who who are very very successful and unions that stand together yes right so it's like it's just starting to happen i think that what we're saying in our deal is look you can use ai like if you want to use it as a tool you know but we've just got these safeguards in place which is you can't give existing material to a writer let like a studio can't give you some writing and not disclose that it's ai generated so it has to be mm-hmm. disclosed it's like whatever there's 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 all the deal points that yeah. we negotiated for ai i'm going to guess there's probably a bunch of people out there who don't think we went far enough i'm going to guess that you know what i mean like there's always yeah. going to be someone says that oh we didn't get enough protections or this or that I'm still just learning. I'm very analog. I'm very, I searched for my book in that database. I did not find it, but I found three friends. I was so happy. (laughs) Yeah. I find, I found three friends book that were in there. And I was just like, cause it's like, you know, they're not like huge, you know, authors. They're just, you know, moderately successful or whatever. And I was just like, what would that feel like? I was glad I didn't have to discover what that felt like for myself. Mm. Cause I think it would feel gross. You know, Mm. I don't know why. I don't know why it's considered okay. Just because it's like, well, we can get away with it. So we are yes. like, I don't, I don't know. 
how that's okay with whoever it is that's doing this. Yeah, it's scary and I don't like it. That's my two cents. (laughs) I I agree. I agree. And that's always been the logic of capitalism. If I can steal it, it's not stealing. If I can steal it and get away, then it's not stealing. Mm, And that's, you know, not an ethical code that actually works in the long term. And as I see this increasing tendency towards automation, whether it's in, you know, the arts or and self-driving trucks, I'm like, who do these captains of industry think they're going to sell to once nobody has a job? Like, what is your end game here? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, you're going to have all this money that's meaningless because the economy is crap because no one has a job. Have fun on Mars, I guess. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I tend to also just be so like, I, I just think that stories, you know, matter and and stories that come from humans who are who are who are wounded and and vulnerable and not robots like those i i just don't think it's ever going to go away i don't think stories are ever going to go away i I, it's like there's going to be waves there's always waves oh rom-coms are really big right now and then there'll be a couple years of like oh nobody wants a rom-com don't bring us a rom-com we don't want to see a rom-com we don't want to buy a rom-com you know Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden a few years later it's just like oh my god everybody wants a (laughs) rom-com and so i've been in this business long enough and i'm not like some old fogey but i've been in it long enough to see that there are ebbs and there are flows and there are waves and it'll be all or nothing sometimes. Yes, this definitely. No, this not. And (laughs) I can just, I just think about AI and I go, this is a moment. It definitely needs regulation. We have to, the people that know the most need to figure this out. I'm not going to be that person. Mm -hmm. But I, but I think that human stories, like I've seen those, I've seen those pictures, like everyone put those fucking pictures, the AI. Okay, whatever. But it's, it's like, it's going to be tired. I I just am like, I I don't, I don't know. I don't buy into it in terms of like it, it really replacing anything. No, Um, I feel that all those pictures are very pre-Raphaelite, which I think is crap. So I at all. There's something that's just wrong. Like I, not in there. Yeah, I did one round of it, but I even see other people have put them up and I, uh, yeah, I, it's missing the heart for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even when it's somebody, it's or especially when it's somebody I know, I'm like, oh, there's something off. It's not quite right. And I know that even, you know, from babies, there's this thing and symmetry, very important, and we will naturally turn toward it and whatever. But as humans, we're also actually used to seeing a lot of asymmetry. In fact, we almost, get sort of startled when we see our own asymmetry for a moment. Yeah. Or it's like looking at skin in a microscope. Don't do that because I can't think about how we're actually <laughs> made up, how we're constructed and what our skin actually looks like on a micro level. But the way that we perceive things, in fact, how story is created and those, like, are we taking away epiphanies? Is that mm-hmm. what we're saying? We're taking the, the human aspect is that we put things together in this very unique way. And that's why you can have a similar theme, a similar story. Uh, we've said this a million times, whether it's on this podcast or just in conversations, you can give 10 writers the same five uh, sort of objects to put in a story, whether it's a theme or a, a type of person or a, an animal or whatever, they will come up with 10 different stories. And you don't win because you came up with the most anything because your story will hit these people. It, mm-hmm. As you were talking about it too, it sort of occurred to me, in fact, it, whether it's studios or publishers, this is the big challenge, right? They want to come up with a thing that's going to sell well. Yeah, we all do. 
And, and as much as they say, oh, this isn't really going, they are guessing. They are mm-hmm. only just now and only some publishers are actually using data to try to see what's selling. We'll take romance or rom-coms as an example. Guess what? The people who love rom-coms have not stopped loving rom-coms during the time where they can't get their hands on any damn rom-coms. When publishing was saying, it was like poo-pooing romance and still some of publishing does, right? There's literary publishers and guess who buys a romance or books en masse, uh, romance readers, fantasy readers, mm. sci-fi readers, even true crime readers. Like there might yeah. be a spike in true crime podcasts or like short series and whatever, but those people who love that, they don't stop loving it. So the replaceable part within, and I'm not saying replaceable in publishing, I'm just saying if there were one, it would be the entity, i.e. AI. Are you saying that CEOs are are replaceable? I'm not saying they're <laughs> replaceable, but if you want to get they a are. person who can pick what is going to sell based on data and right. therefore are replaceable, it's the selection makers. <laughs> I love this. this. Go, love or that. this won't go. That's a replaceable thing because what you're looking to do is saying, based on sales data, hard, yeah. cold facts, numbers, there's no emotion. There's no spark of energy. There's no totally unique way of looking at it. It's just, what is it? Ones and O's, ones and O's. Mm-hmm. But also you're right earlier when you said they're guessing. They're all guessing. guessing. And when they tell, when they say, you know, this isn't hot right now, or this is hot right now. It's like, guess fucking what? I mean, I'm just gonna, I just have to write what you want to write, what I want to write. What and, you need to write. Yes. And if I deeply, if I feel a deep love and a calling and an energy, because my God, it's hard enough to like f- focus, to sit down <laughs> on a project. Like if you actually feel jazzed me, well, then I know that it's right for me. It's just like, I, now this segues perfectly into the fact that I haven't sold my next book. <laughs> Okay, let's let's talk. Let's talk. But like it's hard, man. Like I here I am, and you know I talked to you, message with you a little bit, Angela, and we did decide. Like so, we we sent out. We've been sending it out to these American editors. We have come close twice, really, mm. really close. And it was a situation. I'll just be honest, because that's what we do on this podcast, yes. where the editor, the individual, loved the book, wants the book, right? Yeah. Then has to take mm-hmm. it to a team of people yeah. and doesn't get the go ahead to shoot the green light and. And that's a bummer, man. Because yeah. especially if you're a, if you have a, a strong, I'll say, singular voice, right? Like I think my voice is very specific, and it's me, and I and I love it, and a lot of people love it, but not everybody loves it. Let's say, or not everybody get, wants to get behind it, or whatever. And so I don't want to change it because it's me, and I love it. Like I'm I'm really into this book. So when you get close, and and someone really gets you, and they get the project, but they can't get a team of people on board, you're like, well, fuck. Like you know, what do I? Yeah. I don't know. So the one of the things that we've been doing that's a new development that came out of my conversation with you is, you know, I started to talk to my agent about the UK. I, I started to talk about Australia 
And then, and then she's like, you know what, let me, I think we should look at the UK. And I've heard this throughout my career in terms of when I was started as a comedian, people were like, gosh, you would really do well in the UK, your sense of humor. And I was just like, I went to my agent and I said, what if we took it, you know, to UK buyers before we had a US buyer? And she goes, yeah, that's done. It's something that we could do. And let me send it to our co-agents, you know, our partner agents over in the UK and uh, we'll see what they say. And they came back and it was incredibly encouraging. They said, we're totally enthralled with Tracy's book. We would be very keen to immediately start taking this out. So I was so happy. And I've heard, of course, crickets since then because, and I've been very busy with a lot of other things and the strike and traveling, see my family and other projects, which I can talk about a little bit, but, but I'm like, you know, where's my update? I really, I'll just be honest with you. I really don't like not being updated. (laughs) I really don't like not being updated. Yeah, that was right. Well, I don't know how it is in the UK, but I imagine it's the same in the US where I swear to God, there's two weeks in in two seasons where things get done. Mm -hmm. And it's between like September 15th, maybe six weeks between September 15th and November 15th, whatever that is. And then between February and April. And I feel like no one does anything in the intervening month. And so, <laughs> interesting. and it, just because it's like, there's parties, there's launches, there's this, there's that, there's so much else to the publishing industry. I feel like these meetings, these acquisition meetings and the actual work of publishing only gets done in a very limited time frame. And I hear that from other writers as well. So I would yeah, just say tough. like Tracy follow up. But I don't think it's no news is not necessarily bad. News. No, it's yeah, hard, yeah, yeah. though. I have zero patience, I think I've said. And so I feel you. Distraction is the only way. The other thing I would say is looking at those times you just mentioned, Larissa, I haven't done any research on this, but I was like, ooh, when are the book fairs? Yeah. Frankfurt is in October and London is in March. Oh yeah. Totally. Both of those are right in the center of what you were just talking about. Now mm-hmm. I can tell you from the inside, they are always having acquisitions meetings. There's another conversation that I had recently, and this is my own bias because of where I come from and what I do. I love hand sales. So it would drive me crazy if I had to. And this is why I probably keep things small to my own detriment, but it's just how I prefer to do it. You know, we choose our, pardon my language, but we choose our shit sandwich. And being, you know, operating within a a massive thing just doesn't align with me. I could try real hard, but I would be more frustrated by that particular sandwich than I am with operate smaller and get to do hand sales, Hmm. which is, it's not just another book on the list. I have a small list and I am hyper passionate and I will have multiple conversations and I can be like a dog with a bone. And it doesn't have really an end date, right? So depending on where you go in publishing, most agents, again, because they got to pay the bills and they only get paid after they sell the manuscript. So they're going to choose projects that they believe they can sell in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And depending on the, the setup of the agent, and again, this is a generalization, but depending on the setup, they only have so much time and capacity to be... Yeah putting that particular project out before they will recommend, hey, if you got something else, this one isn't really going. The truth is that especially with creative projects, sometimes you're writing out that 
wave of we'll take the production screen production companies as an example. Oh, this we don't want any scripts that are rom coms at the moment, and and we do want this. So you're writing out these waves, and that's what I've seen on trends as well. They're catching something. You know, years probably too many to be mentioning this one, but there was the erotica wave, and the the ones who could jump on it were the ones that already had something. So publishers were saying no until they said, oh, look at what's selling millions without a publisher. Now we as a traditional publisher will take it on and then we'll sell millions and millions more because we've got the distribution and all that stuff. It's equalized a bit in the market now, not totally. But what that means is your your book has to be your book, pretty much the way you see it. And so I love Mm -hmm. to hear you not dumbing down or dimming your voice or changing your voice too much to try to fit a market. You're right. Tracy, from the the moment that you want to write it, keeping it as much you as possible is the thing. Even if you take some editorial advice, but saying right, that- and we did, and I and it's been great. Like we did get editorial advice while when we got close, and and I think it made the proposal absolutely better. better. Yeah, it mm-hmm. made, and we have two versions of the proposal now. We. We have one that is for a very design heavy illustrated type of a book. And then we have the opposite because I want to be, I want to find the right place for it. If the right editor or someone loves it and they don't, they're not really keen on an illustrated heavy design heavy book, you know, that's great. Let's talk about that. Like I, because my voice is the main thing. My voice and the tone is the main thing. Whether it's illustrated or not illustrated, designed or not designed, if it's a good a gift style book versus whatever, I the main thing is these stories, my voice, and yeah. Anyway, so I, I my fingers are crossed about the UK. I don't know if the timeline is similar to what you hey, just look, said, Larissa. You're in that. You're in the time period right now. Yeah, and I mean, so out. I think you will be hearing updates <laughs> soon. I, that's what I yeah. would just follow up, and I think you're going to hear something soon. I yeah. did send a follow up. I, I, I sent a follow up, and I got an a bounce back from my my agency email saying I'm traveling right now and I'll I'll check my email, you know, one of those automatic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what? It's October. (laughs) Where are you traveling right now? Of course, (laughs) you know, I, I'm just impatient. I am very impatient and I have been patient because I've been like, like you said, distracted and focusing on these other things. Right. So my feeling is, Oh, (laughs) okay, everybody, I've been patient enough. So obviously the updates are going (laughs) to be right now. Hello. 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 And it just is one uh, of those things. It's like nothing, nothing, nothing until something. So I would have to say this is the the age old for pretty much every part of the process as well, especially when you're at a part, this is where the challenge with teamwork of of any kind, where it's no longer something you can take action on. Here's a, Mm -hmm. a thing from and this is sounds woo woo and universe, but there's just sometimes a thing I've got experience with that where something doesn't go, doesn't go, doesn't go. And then two and a half years later, sell right. it easy. You mean you well, have to like, I, the, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Look. Well, I was oh, going to no, say just, like, there, there is something po- po- positive and, and empowering mm, about like, let go and let God, right? Like yeah. I do, it's like, I put the work in, we worked the shit out of that proposal. Like, I love it. Like, I don't feel like, mm, I'm not sure. And I hope, I hope we don't have that. There's no conversation in the, in the, in, in the coming, in the near future about like, you know, I think we have to decide that this isn't going to go. You know, I really hope that that conversation is not going to come. No, but like letting go, like surrendering, right? Like letting go yeah. and, and working on something else. And I will say some of the stuff I've, 
I've been working on. But Larissa, you want to say something? Oh, just that I'm loath to quote Henry Miller, but he did say something <laughs> wonderful, which is, you know, if they don't want you what if they don't want what you wrote, write something else. They'll want it later. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. So I have this in my own life. I've written many things that, you know, didn't go at the time that I wrote them, but were published later on. Mm-hmm. And that was at the right time for them, right? And so maybe right. there will be a trend in the very near future for... My thing is, why isn't the trend now? Burby just made a billion dollars. And it's, it's all coming. about feminism it's coming. and the patriarchy. And I didn't love the movie or anything, but I love that they were talking about, you know, feminism and the patriarchy and doing it yeah. with, you know, a wink and a smile and a dance. I'm like, that's my whole book, guys. It's like <laughs> a wink and a smile and a dance. This um, is it. But like we were saying, decision makers, and especially around an acquisitions table, you've got personalities as well. They are humans. So they're still going to make some some good decisions and some not great decisions, but they're still taking a punt. You, and especially the writers that I talked to, there's a certain, I mentioned before we were recording about human design, and there's a certain portion of the population And I talked to a lot of you who are actually at the forefront when it comes to that construct, who are at the beginning of the wave, but it will take longer to get to that maximum peak for you. And that's just part of like, if that's just part of who you are, it's getting to that point where there's the watershed. Like I said, erotica was probably in there a lot of hell and rice. I mean, it was already selling, but when you're talking about mainstream, which to be honest, you want your work to be commercially successful. There's nothing wrong with commercial success. It keeps you paid, but it takes a little longer for more people to be ready to take a punt on something. So you're right, Tracy, and you're you're right, Larissa. So Tracy, it's already out there. And that's why Larissa was saying like, just wait a second. It's coming. I have a question. I have a question for both of you about like the nitty gritty of writing your proposal. Like Tracy, Mm -hmm. to what degree did you talk specifically about how much you personally can sell this book? Like, how is that integrated into your proposal? And absolutely. I mean, it was key to the first proposal with Let Me Be Frank, because my agent liked that I came from Hollywood, liked that Mm -hmm. I have this background in television and film, likes that I have a lot of people that I know and contacts that I could you know, call for great blurbs and and for engagement and stuff like that. And so she leaned on my background in Hollywood major and not she, she wasn't in charge. We wrote it together. We did that stuff together, the marketing part and the, and this time around, my agent said, Tracy, I've never seen anyone hustle. None of my authors, she's been doing this 25 years. She goes, I've never seen someone hustle as hard as you have hustled for, for let me be frank, because I, I am like a dog with a bone. I don't know if that's the right Mm -hmm. analogy. I really am. I like a woman with a mission. Yeah. There we go. With a mission. You know what I mean? I'm a woman with a yeast infection. Just kidding. (laughs) I am a woman with a mission and I'm, and I, and what I, the reason I hustle so hard is because it's always about what's next. It's Mm -hmm. always about getting Mm -hmm. the chance to write the next book, like the next book and the next book. I want to keep doing this. It is very important to me, not only as a career, but as a, as a life force, as a, as a passion, as a calling. Right. And so when she said that to me, I was very, I, I was very flattered because she's been doing this a long time and she's got a lot of very successful authors. It's, I, I put that directly into the proposal. No one will work harder than I will to call up every favor, to call up every famous person I know, 
every, any, any strong contact that could help me sell this book, I am going to do it. I will mm-hmm. not rest. And that is like, I, 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 I did it in a, in a fun, sweet way. I wasn't like, <laughs> I wasn't like, I'm like <laughs> yeah, but I think you've got the experience to back it up. I want to make sure that we get all these conversations in. I know we've just sort of hit a certain point and I can't keep the conversation going today. So I hope that you will say you will hop back on for another episode because like we are always doing, we're just starting. It's like a really good story, right? You do a full arc. And even Mm -hmm. if you're in a series, you start another conversation or you end on a cliffhanger. And I feel like we're on a cliffhanger. Because I want I just, to get more updates. I just want to say, Tracy, I have full faith and confidence that you're going to sell this book. 100%. Like, people who hustle the way that you do, work the way that you do, are and are smart as you are. Like, it's just going to happen. Like, thank you. That's all. That, that, that honestly means a lot to me. I need to hear that today. And and I will say, I know we're on a cliffhanger, but like. I've been very lucky that some things have also dropped in my lap that are more screen work. And Mm. I'm up for, uh, I've been told that I am, that they want to move forward with this project. And I'm the kind of person I don't count my chickens until they're hatched and the contract is signed. But it's, there's been some very positive developments and I'm really happy about that. And and I think to myself, hey, we need to all remember that we can't Mm. see the big picture. We can't see around corners. We don't have crystal balls. And I have to remind myself of this all the time, which is, I don't know what is the correct timeline of this book. Yes. I know that if I ask myself honestly, do you believe in it? Do you love it? Yes. So that's mm-hmm. what matters, right? I'm not yeah. abandoning it. I'm not giving up. But I also have these other projects and that's really, really good because maybe I'm supposed to go over here first, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So mm-hmm. that's the cliffhanger. And I hope I hope that we can do, I hope that we can keep doing it. I kind of love it because it's like this long conversation. It. It's sort of real time of what we're doing as yes. people. In this, well, this I industry. think that's it. And I, I believe that the people listening sort of, even if it's parallel, they're getting some of that relief, hearing what it's really like <laughs> for writers at different stages and getting to feel like they're not so alone. But I love unpacking this stuff with the pair of you. It's always an amazing conversation. So we're just saying we'll schedule another one. And then yeah, maybe absolutely. we'll get I- to talk about after contract signed these other projects. I'm super excited to hear about them, Tracy. I love it. I love it too. I, my ego always feels a nice boost after I talk to you because you you say nice things to me. So I'm all <laughs> for it. Let's keep doing it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, until next time, thank you guys so much for being on today. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more writers in conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.